Well, good morning, everybody. You've been reminded that we're still in summer school. I wish you all would learn the lessons and pass the test so we could move on to something else. We've got a few more weeks of summer school. And this morning, we're going to talk about a topic that you really need. So regardless of whether you wanted to come this morning, didn't think you needed to come this morning, you should be glad you're here. And in about 30 minutes, I know you're going to be glad that you're here because you need this. This morning, we're going to talk about getting a grip on your anger. Anger. How many of you uh, ever wrestle with anger? Raise your hand. And the rest of you are lying. (laughs) You may not be spewers. You may be stuffers. But I know you wrestle with anger, and this morning, we're not going to solve all of the anger issues and answer all your questions. My goal is, maybe we're going to learn a couple of things that will help us analyze our anger and take a couple of steps in the direction of resolving that anger. So if you think about it, angry people are all around us, and they come in all shapes, sizes, and ages. How many of you have ever seen a toddler's throwing an anger tantrum. Little stubby arms and chubby legs flailing all around, screaming. It kind of reminds you of NBA players wanting to go to another team because they don't like their contract. How about road rage? It starts with being cut off. Then there's tailgating. Then there's hitting the brakes. And before you know it, somebody may be shot. How about work rage? You feel slighted a little bit. Maybe the boss thought you did something you didn't. You then cut back on what you're doing. You sit at your desk and you stew for a little while and you wasted a couple of hours. Now you're being reprimanded for not getting... Anger escalates, right? I remember uh, a few years ago, I was with a friend. We were leaving a party and he was in a rage. Not long after we left the party, he punched a plate glass window. No lie. That plate glass window severed muscles, nerves, and his artery. The worst part was, I had to call 911. I'm almost passing out with all anger. It destroys us, doesn't it? It destroys a lot of things around us. What in the world does the Bible say? What does Proverbs say about anger? And how can we get a grip on it in order to move in the right direction? Well, before we get to analyzing and resolving, maybe we need to start by talking about some of the dangers of anger. Because unless you realize it's kind of a dangerous deal, maybe you're not going to put the effort in to analyze and resolve. So I lifted a few proverbs from from the book, and I'm just going to mention a couple. You should read, if you struggle with anger, either, you know, the spewing or stewing kind, um, read through the book. You'll find lots of helpful hints. I'm just going to mention a few of the dangers. Now, here's a verse. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You know what those verses together say? Anger, not dealing with those emotions properly, will destroy your body. You know, a lot of our physical ailments actually have internal or psychological triggers and drivers. If you don't deal with your anger properly, heart attacks may rise, strokes may rise, high blood pressure, ulcers, lots of physical problems. And here's what's going on. If you don't deal with your anger properly, it's like you're running on the inside with the RPMs in the red zone. 
You know, when you drive your car, I'm, I'm out of my element here, when you drive your car, if you don't shift to a higher gear, the RPMs are real high, your engine's working harder, and you're going to burn something out. You know, in our lives, if we don't shift to a higher gear, a more godly gear, your RPMs are real high, and your body is kind of running on overdrive, and those RPMs may cause burnout or meltdown. Here's another uh, couple proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath. We don't know that real well. But <laughs> a gentle answer. But a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Not only will anger destroy your body, anger destroys community, doesn't it? Now, Answer honestly. How many of you just love being around hot-tempered, angry people, right? You just love. No, we don't want to be with those people. And from experience, you know some people that have short fuses, they get set off pretty quickly. What do we do? We disassociate from them. We want to be far from them. And the community that they're in, angry, hot-tempered people, they'll destroy your small group. They'll ruin your ABF. They'll ruin your community and experience. You know, and sometimes hot-tempered people, they blow up marriages and families. Nothing like those closest to us can make us most angry, right? And so anger, not just our bodies are affected, communities affected. How about this one? Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. That's the community piece. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Anger's contagious. If you're with a hot-tempered person, somebody who kind of, well, you, before you know it, you may wind up returning or living the way they're living. It's contagious. Um, you know, uh, being around angry people, that's kind of worse than COVID, right? It's catchy. You may get it. Somebody responds, you got to respond in kind. Oh, not in kind. You'll ratchet it up a little bit. And before you know it, you're in a volatile situation where everything's over the top. Every issue is becoming a major catastrophe. Contagious. Here's another one. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Now look at this. Rescue them. And you'll have to do it again. A hot-tempered person? Anger can become addictive. And you got to rescue again and again, right? When you're angry, and in a sense, you get that little bit of a payoff. We talked about that a few weeks ago in addiction. When you get that positive payoff from acting a certain way, you reach for something. Sometimes we reach for our anger. You may reach for tears. You reach for something. And when you get a little bit of a payoff, the temptation is you're going to do it again. And do it again. And before you know it, those responses and that attitude is deep-rooted, and you just run in those tracks. It becomes natural. Anger can be addictive. Well, in Ephesians we read, In your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, I put this verse here, even though it's not from Proverbs, to say this. All anger isn't sinful. In fact, the Bible tells us that God gets angry. We read throughout the Scripture numerous times. We read it first in Exodus. God is slow to anger. Well, he's slow to anger, but he does get angry. 
And so the question isn't, are you angry or not? The question is, how do you analyze your anger? How do you assess what's going on? If you don't analyze it properly, you're never going to get to resolve it. And so we're going to work at analyzing our anger now. So how do you analyze what's going on? Um, Well, let's talk about the cause of our anger. Now, I know some of you are sitting there thinking, Charles, you meant for that to be a plural, right? Cause is it? Because I got like 150 things that tick me off. Um, Yeah, I already heard this morning a couple of things. And the not being able to find your favorite parking spot at Calvary, that made somebody angry. The Springsteen concert being canceled, that made somebody angry. Not being able to get an LBI because Taylor Swift showed up, that made somebody. We get angry at a million things. Charles, you meant that to be plural. No, I meant it to be singular. Because underneath all of the triggers is one thing. There's one thing underneath all of our... Now, it's different, but it's the same. You know what's underneath all of your anger? Love. Love. Let me say it this way. When what you love is threatened, you get angry. When what you love is removed, you get ticked off. You see, underneath all of our anger is love. Love isn't the opposite of anger. Hate's the opposite of anger. Love is what propels, energizes, and causes our anger. In fact, we looked at this proverb, and this is probably one of like the summary proverbs that sits underneath a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, the first nine chapters of Proverbs, kind of like an introduction, and the things that come up there, the fear of the Lord, what's in your heart, those things run throughout the book. Well, here's a verse that if you haven't memorized, you need to learn this. And more than just learn it, you need to use it. Because nothing will help your spiritual growth and development like understanding your anger. Because if you understand what makes you angry, you're going to understand what you're really loving. And here's the problem. What makes you angry is probably, not always, but probably what you're loving more than you're loving God. And so you're getting ticked off because you need to take matters into your own hands and you need to work this out because God's not delivering what he should be delivering. Well, yeah, is it God you're after or what, what you think God should provide that you're after, right? And so here's what the verse says. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now, we need to do a little bit of correction here. In English... We often use heart as a metaphor for um, emotion, right? I love you with all my heart. Um, But in the Bible, heart means the center, the control center. Now, emotion is part of that, but emotion is a result of that. What What are your priorities? What are your primary values? What do you have at the center of your life that's driving everything else? When we talked about fearing God, right? Fearing God is knowing your place and living in your place. Well, if your heart is set on something else, then you're not knowing your place and living in your place. Therefore, your anger is going to be disoriented. It's going to be disjointed. What are you loving? What's threatened? That's what's making you angry. 
when what you love is threatened or what you love is removed. Let me give you an example. Last Sunday morning, I was in Quakertown, and when I got there, I was ticked. That wasn't funny. I was ticked. And you know why I was ticked off? I go to Starbucks every morning, the one in Giant, every morning. I have a cup of coffee at home, then I go to Starbucks. I walked into Starbucks. Now, it's like 7.30, right? i got to be there at 8 o'clock to do the walkthrough. I walk in at 7.30 into the Giant. There are like 11 people in front of me at Starbucks. Most of them ordering desserts rather than coffee. I need whipped cream and 15 shots of this and soy that. Come on, get a cup of coffee. That's what we're here for, right? In fact, I waited 10 minutes. There were still five people ahead of me, and I walked out. I didn't have my coffee next Friday. I get to to, uh, Quakertown. They don't have coffee either. Now I'm really ticked off, right? Now, notice. What's under that anger? I love having a cup of coffee. Oh, yeah, I deserve that cup of coffee. I'm entitled to that cup of coffee. I left my house 35 minutes early so I could get that cup of coffee and make it there. And somebody is threatening, somebody's removing what I think I'm entitled to and what I deserve, and that's why I'm ticked off. Now, you put into that little scenario whatever ticks you off. Notice? Underneath your anger is what you love, and what you love is what you think you deserve, what you're entitled to, what you've earned, what other people should be doing for you and to you. And when they don't, when that's removed or that's threatened, you're angry at the one who removed it at the one who isn't giving you what you think you're entitled to. Notice, in all of those angry expressions we looked at thus far, God's pretty far removed from the conversation. Now, you can probably see what I'm saying. Not all anger is wrong. You may get ticked off at something that ticks God off. Well, that anger would... In fact, you can sin by not getting appropriately angry. Yeah, but boy, we often, the majority of the time, 90-some percent of the time, we confuse our will with God's will. That's the problem. And what you're entitled to and what you deserve, when it's threatened or removed, you get angry. And heaven help anybody who's in your way as you seek to get it back or to protect it, right? Well, how do we, uh, how do we manage this anger then? How are we going to uh, manage it? Well, a couple steps. And uh, if you wrestle with anger, and if you're here, you wrestle with anger, right? So, again, you may be, you know, kind of like two kinds of belly, inners, innies and outies, right? Well, you have outie anger. We know those people, right? And, and others, others of you are more, you stew on it, right? Uh, you think about it. But here, anger's like toxic waste, right? You can bury it. It's not going away. It's going to seep out somewhere, Right? You've heard the expression, well, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just sweep it under the rug. Well, some of us have swept so much under the rug, we trip every time we're dealing with somebody because we got all this junk under the rug. So it can't be ignoring it. It can't be stuffing it. What in the world? Well, it can't be exploding either. What is it? Okay, step number one. And this is going to be a hard one for some of you. You need to acknowledge you're angry. How many times do we deny it? How many times do we deceive ourselves and try? I'm not really angry. 
I am righteously justified. Well, you're angry. The first step in finding a cure for anything is to admit you have the problem. If you've got some kind of physical ailment, the first step to a cure, the first step to taking the medication is to admit you have the problem. The first step to admitting or to resolving your anger issue and managing it, you've got to admit that you're angry. Secondly, and here's what hopefully you're getting a couple of helpful hints on, you need to analyze your anger. Analyze it. So here, um, here are the questions. We've already talked about them. When you're angry, ask yourself, what am I defending? What am I defending? Am I defending my reputation? Am I defending my salary? Am I defending my kids? Am I defending whatever? Am I defending my comfort? Am I defending my preferences? What are you defending? In other words, what are you protecting? What is it that you don't want to go, but you feel that it's threatened and you're angry? Or what has been taken away that you think you rightfully deserve? So what are you protecting, defending, or what has been removed that you're seeking to get back? Um, remember our verse, above all else, guard your heart. Ask yourself the heart questions, the why question. Why are you angry? What am I protecting? What am I defending? What is threatening? What is threatened that I'm powering up to keep? What has been removed that I want? Now, here's an interesting verse um, that you may not see how it fits. Let me, let me see if I can help you. I think we have a verse here about talking to yourself. Maybe. <laughs> well, even though it's not up there. Anger involves self-talk, right? When you say to yourself, I'm going to get even with that person, you're not really angry at what happened to you. You're angry at what you're telling yourself about what happened to you. And so when you say to yourself, that's that wrestling on the inside. You're not angry really at what happened. You're angry at the story you're telling yourself about what happened. But here's the real solution. The real solution isn't in acknowledging and analyzing. There are necessary steps. You've got to contemplate God's grace. Contemplate God's grace. Um, a couple verses to help you do that. And we've got communion coming later. And so what's communion? We contemplate God's grace. And boy, what better topic to think about how we put something else in God's place, contemplate his grace to get him back in that place Proverbs 25, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. Boy, that doesn't sound like anger, right? If you're, give him food. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, we read those verses and think, yeah, that's not normal. That's not human. If somebody does something to me, I'm going to do something back to them. And since I feel that what, they, what they've done to me is a 10, I'm going to return something, a 12. I'm going to make them pay, right? I'm going to seek revenge. But this, no, no, no. Don't return evil for evil. Return good for evil. That kind of becomes a biblical theme, right? No evil for evil, but good for evil. And then this part talks about he, if you do so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. Now, sometimes I hear people and some commentators or preachers will say, and what that means is, if you return good for evil, they'll be judged to a harsher degree. 
And so you can make them pay. You do good for them and they'll pay. That's not what it's talking about. If you heap burning coals on your head, that's a metaphor, right? When you return good for evil, in some cases, that person may get red in the face, humiliated, humbled, and come to repentance. So returning good for evil is not to make them pay more. It's so that maybe God can use those acts of grace, giving what they don't deserve, that sounds familiar, right? Giving what they don't deserve, that may cause them to come to their senses in humility, see what they've done wrong, and repent. Interestingly, and some of you probably already know this, um, that verse, word for word, is quoted by Paul in Romans, where he's speaking about the gospel. So Romans is all about the gospel, all about God's grace, our sin, our waywardness, rebellion. God comes to the rescue and says, and here's what he says. You'll, you'll probably recognize this. On the contrary, don't return evil for evil. On the contrary, he quotes Proverbs. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning calls on his head. Maybe he'll come to repentance. So what's going on? Here's what's going on. What does the gospel mean? Here's what it means. Do to other people what God first did for you. That's the gospel. What did God do for you? Well, it's kind of in the verse, right? When you were an enemy of God running from him, he fed you, right? You had stuff to eat. Long before you came to your senses and repented, you had food to eat. You had water to drink. Oh, yeah. In the beginning part of Romans says, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. God returned good for evil. He's not asking us to do something he hasn't done. He's saying, no. In some really small way, why don't you microscopically return good for someone else's evil as God exponentially returned gracious good to you, forgiveness and grace, when you deserved nothing but judgment and his anger. See, Proverbs is just calling us to live out the gospel. And when Paul's thinking about what should be our response to people, oh yeah, don't return evil for evil, return good for evil. Where's, where's the source of that? What's the cause? It's not you. It's not trying real in a disciplined way to live that. No, it's allowing the Spirit to take those truths, sink them into your heart, so that now you're loving Jesus, loving, loving the gospel more than you are those little things that we hold on to and get ticked off about. Love that. And all of a sudden then, with that as the well, you'll be able to give people a drink of grace and forgiveness. I want to end uh, with a couple of quotes. They're not from the Bible, but they kind of have, they bring together, at least in my mind, you can tell me if you think so later, bring, in, bring together a couple of these things in my mind. Um, so let's consider anger with a couple of quotes. And here's the first one. It's by Henry Farding in his book, Seven Deadly Sins. We talked about seven deadly sins a couple of times, but 
I, I always appreciated this quote from Farley. And now, you think of everything we've said, right, about what you, the cause under anger. Here's what Farley says. Wrath, that's a wrong kind of anger, right? Different kinds of anger. Wrath is the wrong kind of anger. Here's what he says. The wrong kind of anger, wrath, is the love of justice perverted into the desire for revenge and for the injury of someone else. Isn't this part true? Justice is the proclaimed motive under every manifestation of wrath. What's the driver underneath a lot of our... It's justice. It's justice. But here's the problem. When we seek to retaliate and get revenge, that shows there's something tainted. Something's wrong with what's driving it, right? You're stepping into God's purview, not into yours. But people are always, when, when people are angry, they're always going to declare their motivation is justice. And so just think of the news. Every side, regardless of the side you're on, every side that is angry will proclaim justice is the reason. Yeah, but if there's retaliation, if there's revenge, if there's that, something at the center is wrong. And the problem is, we often confuse our will with God's will. And when you have what you think you deserve and what you think you're entitled to and what you're loving, when you promote that over God's will, now you will be ticked off at every infraction you think people are enacting against you because you're entitled to that and you deserve it. Yeah, step back. Put God in his place. And that'll help you find your place and live in that. <laughs> Anne Lamott has a quote. Um, and some of you need this. I need this periodically. Here's what Anne Lamott says. Not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. <laughs> when you play that self-talk game, and you all know what I'm talking about, right? Somebody wrongs you, and that sense of justice now shifts into high gear. And before you know it, you have all that energy and anger. Well, what do you do? You begin to rehearse the conversation you'll have. When you give that person a piece of your mind that you can't afford to lose, right? You, you have those, con you begin to play out the scenarios and the narratives of getting revenge and playing. And so what do we do? And Lamont says, yeah, and you know what you're doing when you play that game? When you're thinking that way and allow it to spiral down, or when you put into action what you're doing in that spiral, here's what you're doing. You're drinking rat poison. That's going to destroy your soul, your community, your family. It's going to become addictive, just like all those dangers. And all the while you're doing that, you think you're making the person pay. The rat's fine. You're dying. Not forgiving someone. It's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Uh, let's stop drinking the poison, huh? Acknowledge your anger. We're angry people. There are a lot of things in this world that tick us off. A lot of people in this room tick you off. Analyze your anger. Ask those questions. What are you defending? What do you think is threatened? What has been removed? What do you believe you're entitled to? What do you deserve that you're trying to bring everything in to keep? Okay, then, bring the gospel into the equation, all right? Don't just wrestle, go down that spiral that leads to a sewer by yourself. Bring Jesus into that discussion. 
Ask the Spirit to open your mind and heart to the glories of what the gospel has done. He gave you water when you were his enemy. He gave you food when you were running. He, he died for your sins while you were still running from him. What you deserve through the gospel, actually, you will never get. Jesus got all that. We then can get all that he deserves. That's not a bad deal. What do you say we uh, give up our little attempts to make things right and say, God, I don't understand the things that happened to me. I can trust you with the results. You're sovereign and you're loving. Life's not going the way I want, but that's because you're wise and sovereign and I'm not. Help me to live submitting to you, loving you, following your example as the gospel energizes me to do that. That may not solve all your anger this week. Here's my guess. If we live out these biblical principles based on the gospel, we'll at least take a step in the right direction this week. Acknowledge, analyze, contemplate the gospel. And your anger won't disappear. It'll begin to evaporate a little bit because God will be in his place. That means you'll be in your place. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we live in a fallen world. And as we look around, there are a lot of things that make us angry and a lot of things that make you angry. But Lord, we confess that often the things that make us angry aren't the things that make you angry. And the things that make you angry don't bother us much at all. Lord, help us to align our hearts with yours to align our hearts with the grace of Jesus, to allow the Spirit to root those principles, that reality, deep in us so that we're able to live out on a microscopic level, returning good for evil as we exponentially remember and contemplate your grace where all of our evil was swallowed up in good, swallowed up in grace. Help us live that reality. We pray in Jesus' name.